Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Goldmines with Kevin Hart. Welcome to another episode of Comedy Goldmines. By this time, I should not have to tell you what we do because, goddammit, it should be in better than your head. We got tons of episodes in. But just in case I have new listeners, I will let you know what this show is all about. It's all about getting inside the minds of brilliant comedians. And oh my God, what amazing minds they are. And today's guest will be no different. Today's guest, well, today's guest is on fire these days. And I do mean that, man. I can say this, man, he's doing a lot. This man has got to the top of the comedy game and it has not been fast. I hate it when people do that. When they, when they say, oh God, in such a quick amount of time, he's risen to the top of the game. What well, has been quick? This guy's been in the game for fucking years. Years on years and is a polished vet at what he does. Tons of work that he's done. 2018 film Green Book. Uh, he was also in Scorsese's movie, uh, The Irishman, which was an amazing blockbuster. 2019 Netflix special Stay Hungry was a hit, along with, with so many more specials that he has. I mean, I can go down a list of all the specials that he's put out. I believe there's, there's three or four, and I've, I've definitely watched them all. Along with a memoir of the same name, uh, it's my pleasure to have my friend, I don't say that loosely. Sebastian Maniscalco. That was my Italian accent. Sebastian, it sucks, but I'll say it regular. Sebastian Maniscalco. Maniscalco. You got it. Maniscalco. You know, all this time I've known you, I've never said your last name. No need to. I never have to say it. No real need to. Uh, but I appreciate you really pronouncing it uh, phonetically correct. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, really nice to, to get to catch up with you. I haven't seen you in a while and, um, thanks. Thanks for having me. We're about to get into it, man. Dude, if you notice in my introduction, I said, I can't stand when people say with such a quick rise to the top, man, this guy overnight, he's done it. (laughs) Crushing the fucking game like nobody's business. Where did he come from? Like a tornado. This guy just came out of nowhere. It's not true. It's not fucking true. People don't come out of nowhere. They've, they've been around. They've been doing it for a long time. Sebastian, how long have you been doing stand-up comedy, man? So I started in 1998. I moved out uh, from Chicago to uh, Los Angeles and started kicking around out here. I had no idea like how to get into this, what to do. I come from a uh, you know, middle-class working family. My father's a beautician. My mother's a, uh, a secretary. We, we have no pipeline into the entertainment business, <laughs> right? So uh, I came out here and didn't really know uh, how it was gonna work. I came out with 10 grand. Uh, that I saved up. I was working at United Airlines Employees Credit Union and I was waiting tables at night. And uh, I came out here when I was 24 years old and um, and started doing stand-up and, and worked for season. Was 10 grand a number? Was that the number? It was, yeah. was it when I hit 10, I'm out. Fuck this. I told myself, because listen, I'm not the type of guy where I'm going to ask you to stay, you know, or me to stay on the couch. I'm not that guy. I figure <laughs> I want to come out with a nice little nest egg, find myself a nice little apartment. And uh, I didn't want to bother anybody with, uh, <laughs> with uh, room and board, you know? So. <laughs> Um, and that's just my upbringing. My, you know, my family was always like, but the the first question they were asking when I was coming out here, uh, do you have health insurance? That was a big thing. (laughs) 
So, you know, I had to get the, the Cobra plan and then uh, I had to pay out of pocket for health insurance. That was like like rent and then health insurance. That was the uh, the level of importance in, in regards to uh, my finances. And then, uh, yeah, man, it wasn't a, it was a slow burn for me. I, uh, <laughs> there was no real uh, traction I had uh, in anything. No, no pilots, no nothing. Just going the couch. The couch comment made me laugh. Real tears in my eyes right now. Um, there's definitely real tears. I, I'm laughing because you know I went the pilot route. I mean, not the pilot route, the couch route. I, I've definitely, I hit some couches, man. And there's no, there's no more uncomfortable feeling than the feeling of staying on someone's couch. And and here's why I say uncomfortable, because no matter what you you can feel that you're in the way. You feel it. I was on Chris Spencer's couch, man. I stayed on Chris Spencer's couch for quite some time. And you know, even though Chris has had his ups and downs in the business, Chris has never not had a job. Chris has always been able to find a way to make some money, man. And you know, when you see that, that door constantly opening and closing for somebody and when you're just in the same spot when they get back, it's tough. It's a tough thing. It's a tough fucking thing. So when you're like, I'm not that guy to be on somebody's couch. I was I was that guy for a minute. Well, I mean, your personality uh, probably kind of lends itself to, you know, I don't know. I, I look at you as a guy who, if you were staying on a couch, that it would be fun to wake up and have you in the living room, right? That's yeah, kind of yeah. like, but for me, first of all, I don't, I don't want to see anybody in the morning. Okay, I, I don't even have people stay at my house. I don't like this whole, like, you mind if I crash? <laughs> uh, so not a big, not a big guest guy. I'm not a no. big guest guy, nor do I like being out of my element. So I wanted to save enough money where I didn't have to be an imposition to people. And I didn't have to have to ask, hey, do you mind if I stay on your couch or what have you? Mm -hmm. So I wanted my apartment. I had it all set up. And I was living on Hollywood uh, near the um, near Runyon Canyon, and uh, okay, that's that was kind of my first place. Holy that shit! Was. I stayed in that same area. I was on Poinsettia. I was on Poinsettia okay, when yeah. I first got my first apartment. Right, right in the same area. Uh, how many jobs? How many jobs did you have to take on when you came out to LA? I I, I wanted a job waiting tables because I had some experience. Uh, banquet server. I used to work at this place called the Living Room in Schaumburg doing fine dining. But when I got out here, I was getting rejected from a lot of these restaurants. And here's another thing, this the way I am. I didn't want to just go in and apply to a restaurant. I sat down for lunch and I'm like, can I see myself working here? I saw how the servers yeah. were bringing food out. I almost gave it like a, like a, the restaurant an audition. Yeah, to and, see if they were worth your time. Yeah. Well, little did I know, like, no, no one was calling me back. I was, I was handing out resume, a beautiful resume on cardstock. Um, and no one called me back. And then I ended up at the Sofitel Hotel in Beverly Hills. And they told me, go to the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. They're always looking for people. So I went in there. And the guy happened to be from Chicago, the food and beverage director. And he gave me a shot in the Windows Lounge. He's like, uh, I miss that accent, that Chicago-ness about you. You got to be around here. I'm going to put you in the bar. And at the time, I was literally the only male server. Where I was cocktail. I was a cocktail waitress. In the, at the wow, okay. And uh, that's kind of how I supplemented my income while I was uh, doing stand-up. Good money. Good tip money there, especially there. Especially the Four Seasons. You're not in a bad place right there. No, no, I wasn't hurting at all. I, I had really good money coming in. Um, but I never let that get, get in the way of me doing stand-up. Uh, gotcha. So like if there was a stand-up gig and it was going to pay less, I would take that gig because I was like, I'm not going to let this interfere with my goal, which is to be a comedian. So you come out to LA, you had a young age, man, you're 24, you figured it out fast. Cause of course you got a nest, as you said, you got 10 grand and you, you, you're confident within the 10 grand. You got life insurance. That's a big deal. Your parents are happy. They feel like you're safe. You nab a great job. What was the road? of amateur nights of getting into this la comedy circuit like was it a fast 
implementation for you? Like, did, were you able to input yourself into this thing quickly or was that a lot of work? Was a lot of networking and stuff for you in the beginning? I'm not a networking guy. It's another thing. I, I, I'm not a big talker. I'm a shy guy. I, I feel like, you know, if you had like, if you had, if you were running a room, uh, I wouldn't go up to you and go, Hey man, can I get some stage time? I, I that, that wasn't my style. So what I actually mm -hmm. did is I started, uh, at, I saw there's a comedy class at, at the comedy store that Sandy Shore, Mitzi Shore's daughter ran. So I'm thinking, okay, let me get into the class. If she likes me, she'll recommend me to the mother, and then I'll have like a comedy club I could work out at. So I go to the first gotcha. day of class, and Sandy Shore's like, I don't get along with my mom. And I'm like, that's it. There goes $600, right? Well, this is, this is <laughs> 600 out the door. Wasting my money. Planned. Didn't think the whole plan through. Jesus Christ, why are you working here then? Why are you even here, Sandy? This is what your mother does. <laughs> I don't know how she even got the space to, to, to work there if she wasn't really getting along with her mom. But that, ironically enough, and I think comedy classes get a bad rap. You know, would you take a stand-up? You can't learn how to do it or whatever. It just gave me a place where I could go once a week in a nice, comfortable environment, work out some material, and just kind of get my feet wet because I only did it once before at Northern Illinois University where I went to college. So I didn't really have any experience doing it. But... I was in there for about six months, and at the end of the thing, they had a big showcase, whatever, at the at the comedy store. And you know, looking back on that videotape, I was nowhere near ready to, to you know, oh, uh, I, I was green. I still had work to do, but it kind of gave me a, like a little launching pad to start working at these coffee houses, you know, the the, the open mics, the bringer shows. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was a long, long process. Uh, it took a while for me to kind of find my true self on stage. It wasn't like, oh, this is this is me right away. Absolutely. What's the, I think that's the toughest part about stand-up, though. The toughest part about stand-up is understanding that, like the, the true self. You know, when you get to that point where you're not doing what you think they want you to do, you're doing what you know you want to do there's a there's a weird space of fogginess in the beginning of stand-up comedy where you don't understand that and i and i think you know all of all of the comics who who truly who truly appreciate the craft work on the craft they all have gotten to the place where they are themselves on stage they embody the most of who they are and that's what they put out there for the crowd um that was a late discovery for me a discovery for me as well. So I, I, I definitely understand what you're saying when you say that. How long do you think it was until you found, until you found that light bulb of oh shit? I don't know for you, um, but well, well, for you, was there material that opened you up for a uh, oh, like when you started talking about either your family life or your father? Is is that when you discovered your true self on stage or it was absolutely? Absolutely. It was when, you know, I'll say when I went through, when I started to talk about the shit that was bad, like when I started, because, you know, we don't have, we don't have money. You just got finished saying like, you know, what you moved out with in those beginning stages, when you're figuring it out, your, your material is truly based off of the lack of in your life or the, the bad shit that you find yourself in. The bad situations, the bad relationships, the rent not being paid, the land. It's like all of that shit is where my funny started to come from because it was all based on my real reaction from real, like, you know, real life shit. When I started to talk about that and not try to create, you know, when, hey, man, you ever heard of, mm -hmm. ain't it crazy when you see shit like this on TV is... When I got out of that and started to talk about the the real, that's when shit got better for me. That's when my material kind of took off. Yeah, it's funny. I, I agree. I think for me, when I start talking about family, personal stuff, that's when I kind of start feeling that I was really connected to the material. But here's a question. Uh, I wanted to ask you this when I saw you at the forum. Um, now that that struggle uh, isn't there for you in regards to like what you don't have or... Mm -hmm. Coming up, you had material that kind of reflected your life at the time. Now that you're living a life that a lot of people uh, can't relate to, 
Um, you know, you're not struggling. You're not trying, you're not sleeping on couches and what have you. When you write the material now, do you have that in the back of your head that you have to still maintain some relatability to the crowd because, you know, you can't really talk about, uh, Sebastian, that's such a good question. I, I swear to you, I was just having this conversation the other day with, with my guys. And it's so funny, man. It's so funny about the rise in stand-up, right? Because your journey to get to where we are, and and it's a crazy journey to get here, is one where people people root for you on the way up because your funny is raw, it's uncut, it's great, it's edgy, it's whatever. And it's because you're living a certain life. But as your life changes, that rawness that once raw, it's not going to be the same. It's impossible for it to be the same. Yeah, it's impossible, right? So, so when you say to relate, the only thing that I think about is, you know, fuck, my life is what it is. I can only talk about what I now know and what I now am. My fans that have grown with me will understand the growth in me as an individual and where I am. I, I, can't, I can't undo anything. I'm not gonna falsely create things for the sake of entertainment. I'm true to myself within my craft. So, you know, you gotta navigate in that the best way possible, but it's a fucked up thing because you're competing against yourself. And it's almost as like, do you wanna go back to the old you? No, like what do you, do you want to do that, Sebastian? Do you want to go back to the old you? This is what I struggle with. Talk to me. I come from just, you know, working class people, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, now that I've had some success, the, the kind of the comedy that got me to this point was talking about, you know, the struggles of, of, of working class and, and mm -hmm. uh, how I grew up and the relationship I have with my father. Um, now the situation's a little different and mm -hmm. I don't want to lose that, like, kind of every day, you know, like, I used to get up, I used to go to Target. I used to, mm -hmm. and that's where I reap some you know, Whole Foods or go grocery shopping or, or what have you. Just like everyday life stuff, relate, relatable stuff. I don't do that as much anymore, but I still want to keep in touch with that side of me because I feel that, you know, if you just sit at your computer and order from Amazon, you don't get the interaction. I went to the Cheesecake Factory the other night with my family and, and, and came up with a really good bit about going to the Cheesecake Factory. Mm -hmm. I still want to mm -hmm. do those things so I could pull, pull material. And some of the things I find myself doing, uh, it's like I've taken the fish out of... Uh, my, my wife comes from a wealthy family, so she kind of like... She, she slips right into this life. I have a trouble like enjoying the fruits of my labor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know if this is a typical thing or, you know, like sometimes I don't want to show kind of what we're doing on Instagram because it's like half ridiculous, you know, like a, a birthday party, for example. I grew up with birthday parties where we're in the garage and we were doing water balloons. And, and my wife's got like a unicorn in the, in, 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 the, in the yard now. So it's like, it's like ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I know that, you know, and then yeah. I'm playing on that, that this is. That's the comedy though. Yeah. The comedy is in the ridiculousness of now what you do, dude. I talked about it. I got a fucking dog. My dog is getting physical therapy. Sebastian, this isn't even a bit. <laughs> I didn't. This is not a bit. This is real shit. My dog is currently getting physical fucking therapy. They're giving like the dog acupuncture or whatever it's called. They're putting the fucking pins and shit in my dog. They're, they're, there's two people that come over and they're stretching my dog's back legs out because my dog has got like arthritis or some shit in the back legs. So they're like working her joints two times a week. Do you think I want to do this? I don't. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, where does it, where does that tipping point where, where they come to you and go, listen, um, we're going to have to give the dog twice a week acupuncture. And then there's got to be a moment where you go, what? <laughs> or, or do you go, yeah, no, have them come over. I, 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 <laughs> it's a thousand percent the, the what? Wait, what? What the fuck did you say? Yeah. That's a dog. Like, there's a, that's the first reaction. But then there's another side of it of, man, if this shit exists and they say it's going to help the dog, well, let me, you know, let me go and let me fucking get a dog, to, whatever the dog needs to be better, <laughs> right? There's, there's another side of it where I'm like, all right, well, is, is this going to help my dog? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, two times a week? And they're like, yeah. For how long? An hour, hour and a half. All right. Then you try to, you know, ground it by saying, be on time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's fucking ridiculous, man. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I equate it as this. There's stages and levels to life, right? If you were to look at life like a fucking video game, there's stages and levels. And, you know, you have access to different levels when you beat certain things in life. If you graduate high school, certain doors open up. College, graduation, diploma, certain doors open up. You said diploma to get said job. Now, financially, other doors open up. You take money from certain jobs, invest money properly. Oh, fuck. Other doors open up. The investments paid off and my businesses are now doing well. Other doors open up. Now I want to enjoy it. Vacations, islands. Holy fuck, I'm now seeing the world. And seeing the world, I want to do more. And doing more when you see the world, it's levels. So, you know, you're, you're a part of a small percentage of people in the world that are able to unlock certain levels. That doesn't mean that you throw it in people's faces, which you don't. You're a grounded individual. You keep your life to yourself as you should. But you're now opportunity to talk about the shit that life has and that, that you've seen. Well, it inspires and educates others. I don't think it's a thing where you should feel bad about it. I mean, granted, no matter what, people are going to talk shit. They're going to say things. Yeah. That's the nature of the world to win. I mean, I... According to the people, I haven't been funny ever. You know, I'm, I'm a, Jesus Christ, Kevin Hart sucks. And I, I don't know what the fuck I'm, what you want me to do? I guess I got here by accident. <laughs> it, it comes with the fucking territory. Yeah. So it is what it is, man. I think that you, you do fucking share the ridiculous side of life that you're on right now. Why not? That's what makes you fucking great and funny. I don't think you run away from that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, and it's just uh, it's just uh, massaging that in the right way, uh, where it comes off as is uh, you know having a humorous slant to it, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just it, a lot of this is kind of new to me, and I'm trying to navigate these waters the best I can. Um, yeah, so it's, um, it's. I think you're doing. I think you're doing an amazing job at navigating the waters. I mean, look, we were just talking about your entry to comedy in LA and and how you started and then making a transition. You know, one thing that you said that stood out is you're not you're not the the person that's like the networker. You're not the outspoken person. So that's a that's already a thing, right? You not being that that individual it explains and justifies why there is any hesitation at all. But on your specials, you do a great job of 
of putting putting something out there that's the complete opposite. Like you're vibrant. You're fucking. I mean, you know, aren't you embarrassed? I can't tell you, dude. I'm I'm gonna say that's in that's in personally. This is no bullshit. That's in my top ten. That's in my top ten favorite specials. Aren't you embarrassed? Is pound for pound from the start to the end one of the funniest specials that I've ever watched. From the start, it is it is one of the best breakdowns and narrations of people that I've ever seen, Sebastian. Aren't you embarrassed? I challenge my fucking listeners to watch this special of his. It is, I've never seen a better breakdown of people, just people, and the shit that people do. When you talk about the guy with the Band-Aids, he's got all the Band-Aids on, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you out? Oh, and he's getting in the pool. Just <laughs> yeah, you have a cast on. Uh, I appreciate that. That's very, that's very sweet of you to say. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to maintain that level and trying to maintain that level of uh, output and quality uh, throughout my career. That's kind of like the goal is to just. Tough. I mean, it's an amazing goal, but it's it's very tough when you're up against yourself. Yeah, that's all, and that's not advice. That's just information. You're up against yourself. That's the fucking crazy thing that we sometimes forget. It's like when you're trying to tap into what you already did, right? So, so you know, you're doing the best to do that already. Mm-hmm. But if you're if your bar is the bar that you set, I mean, when when are you ever happy? When when like are you ever happy with where you are again? If you're looking for that bar of the height of, it's tough to gauge when that will be. Um, how do you feel about comedy now? Like just within our times and within the, you know, the tension that's in the world that's placed on what you can say versus what you can't, the way that we should navigate, et cetera. You know, how are you handling that as a comedian now? Well, you know, I, I haven't done much comedy over the pandemic, but now I am starting to go out and, um, you know, I, there's certain things I'd like to talk about, and 10 years ago, I would have not thought twice about talking about things, but now just got to kind of gauge where people are at. I don't know if everybody is as sensitive as they are making it out to be. I think when you go to a show or a comedy, I just did the Irvine improv yesterday and it, people are dying to laugh. They're, they're dying to hear you. You're fine at live shows. Yeah. It's when you have something that is put on display and that people just feel like it's a it's a good opportunity to kind of to kind of watch and and have an opinion. And that's when the problems occur. Yeah, you're not going to experience it at the live shows. Like you said, people are there to to be entertained. Those people came to see you, and they're fucking ready. It's uh it's some that don't know you, that may not be familiar with what you do, that then form and judge and have an opinion, and 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 then it turns into these things. Um, how many shows have you done so far? Like you just been going out improv, just kind of. Working out? Yeah, like I did two last night. I'm doing two tonight. Uh, I did a couple gigs uh, privately in in Las Vegas, but nothing where, you know, I could really sink my teeth into what I've been thinking over the last 14 months. But, yeah, now we're, you know, we're starting, I'm going to the comedy store uh, this week, um, or last week I went there twice. Um, But it's nice. It's nice to get up and just kind of start throwing up stuff. And uh, I don't think that I have things that are so like uh, sensitive where people are gonna go, did you hear? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about more like my family life, mm-hmm. being a father, my mm-hmm. relationship with my family. And within that little area, I don't think there's anything that, uh, you know, it's just when you start talking about current events, you start talking about these hot topics, whether, you know, it, it'd be, uh, you know, Anything that's going on currently, I, I stay away from politics. That's not my that's not my my thing to speak on. I don't really feel passionate about it anyway. And I, you know, pe- people always go, "Oh, why don't you talk about whatever? Whatever president is in office?" I'm like, "Whatever he's doing, <laughs> it's not as funny as what we're doing right now." So I just stick on that. Uh, I love it. I love that you're just still in the craft on the craft. So what are you doing? Are you are you touring anytime soon? Are you going back on tour? Yeah, yeah. We we put the tickets on sale last or this week. Yeah, we're gonna go out and 
and uh, get this thing going. So, um, what's the response been since you since you put them on sale? Since you put them on sale, it's been surprisingly um, well. I, I th- places I've never been to, like uh, New Orleans. I've never performed in New Orleans. Okay, okay. Knoxville, Tennessee, and and we've noticed. Uh, Wow, you know that, that that went pretty quick. So it's nice to see that there is still because you know again, there's another. Listen, I'm only I'm not a, as a positive guy. <laughs> All right, you seem like no matter whatever happens, you got a beautiful attitude on it. I'm thinking to myself, when is this gonna end for me? <laughs> Like during the pandemic, I'm like to my wife, I go, "Do you think people are?" <laughs> no. I'm never looking at this in any type of positive light. It's always, "When's it gonna happen? How long of a run do I got?" And uh, so, yeah, I was. Why? Why? Why is that? Why are you so? Why family, are you? It stems from my family. My family was always like. You know, if I told them something good, they would go, yeah, but, you know, it would be like, I got, I'm going to be in the Irishman. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, like, it's not like good for you. That's great. It's it's met with some um, negativity, which, you know, we've always kind of played on that in a humorous way. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, and my wife is like you, very, like, optimistic, you know, this will end soon. Um, you know, the silver lining of the pandemic is we get to spend time as, with the family. You know, like she's very that type of way. And you know, I'm I'm more like common uh, <laughs> said, it ain't coming back. I gotta, I gotta go work for UPS. You know, like, I love you said it's dead. Well, that's it. You see this fucking pandemic, it hit hard. The first thing to go is comedy. That's the first thing to go. It's we're done. We're done. So you better figure it out, honey. <laughs> Sebastian said he panics. Oh, I, I think that I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm fucking surprised you're you're back on tour and going out, man. Shouts out to you. You heard what he said, by the way. Please. Go support my guy. Uh, the name of the tour, name of the tour is uh, Nobody Does, is it? Is Nobody it? Does This. This came out of, uh, I, would, I would walk around the house and kind of uh, half-kiddingly brag to my wife about what I was doing. So, like, I would wake up during the pandemic and make a full breakfast for my kids. I'm not talking Eggo waffles and what have you. I'm talking Four Seasons-style yeah. brunch, French toast, pancakes i'm making french eggs you know it it, it it cut fruit i'm cutting beautiful strawberry grapes what have you and uh i would i would turn around i go nobody does it's like no father <laughs> is doing this um but she would look at me and go what what make breakfast yeah but look yeah. at it you know like look at what i'm bringing to this the is table a real deal. so there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of like scenarios like that. And I think everybody out there has a kind of nobody does this uh, thing about mm-hmm. themselves where they kind of like dote and brag on themselves a little bit. So that's kind of where this uh, nobody does this thing came out. Of. I'll tell you what, I got nothing. I got nothing right now. You talk about going to tour. You don't got it. You don't got to you don't ever turn to your wife and go, "Babe, nobody does this." No. I I think I think right now the one thing God damn, man. What am I doing around the house? I can't even lie to you, Sebastian. I'm awful. I'm I'm fucking awful in the house, man. I don't know where shit is. I don't know how to do shit. I don't know. Like I during the pandemic, I got to see how tough of a live I am. I'm very difficult to fucking live with. A, a thousand percent. Once once I got to like truly be in that house and see what my wife puts up with on a regular. Babe, where's the control? I don't even know. Have you seen the control? Did you look? No, that's what I'm saying. Where would you I didn't where it's right next to you. Oh, sorry. Hey, where's the mugs? The mugs, the good ones. Where's the mugs? Did you look? No, no, I didn't. You don't know anything. You don't know where anything is. I don't know shit. I don't know shit. I don't know shit. I'm not proud of it. How about this? Flashlight. Things go dark. 
No idea where anything's at. No flash. Nothing. 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 We got a generator, right? Generator had to kick in. The power went off. Power went off. I panicked. Fuck! Power's out! God damn! Hey, kids! Everybody downstairs! Power's out! Shut up, honey. The generator gonna kick on in like two minutes. Generator! When we get a generator? I didn't even know that we had a generator. Uh, so you're like, you're like really, like you're like detached yeah, from yeah. the house. No, my wife runs the house completely. My wife is... She is so dialed in in that machine. I know nothing. I'm, when I'm telling you, Sebastian, I'm not making this up. Full-fledged panic. Lights went out. Get downstairs, everybody. Me, Come on. I want everybody on the couch so we together. So I don't want y'all panicking. It was me. I was panicking. Everybody was fine. They all knew the generator was coming on. I'm the only dickhead that had no idea, man. No fucking idea. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Dude, let's talk about right now your transition into this goddamn box office space, dude. You know, films, movies, you know, it's not just the world of comedy, the world of headlining, by the way, which you've done so well. And we talked about The Irishman, which won Best Picture, an amazing film to be a part of, to be in. How the fuck did that happen? Did you audition for The Irishman? Yeah, so I got the call and they, they gave me two options. Uh, you either come to New York City and audition with the casting director in the room or send a tape. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me go. Let me go to New York. Nice. God knows what's going to happen in the room. Nice. You know, yes, you know, we'll start up a conversation. You know, like sometimes it's those little intangibles that get you the job. Mm -hmm. Not that you uh not going to get it based on your talent, but sometimes it's like, ah, oh, this guy, you know, I like him. What I go in and um, this is what I don't like in auditions when the when the person ahead of you comes out and they're like, um, yeah, claps. Yeah. director or what have you so i walk in i don't know the casting director i sit down we start doing the scene and i could tell that um i was not on my game i just i felt like the nerves got to me because i'm reading for a part in a scene with um al pacino and robert de niro mm -hmm. now that's in my head because i'm like you know again with the negative am i good enough I've never really done movies before, mm -hmm. and now I'm doing this. And if I get this, am I going to be able to do it? And, you know, all that's going through my head. So I'm falling apart in the audition. So bad where I lose complete <laughs> uh, saliva in my mouth, go completely dry. You ever get that? Like where you're so nervous, where you're looking for, like, there's no moisture in my mouth right now? It's <laughs> so... I'm in there half an hour and it's one of these auditions where they're like, come on, get it. We don't want to see another person. Like, you know, he likes you. Yeah. This is yours to lose. Cause that's what they said. When I walked in, they said, this is looking very good for you. Um, Scorsese saw your comedy and he saw a little part that you did in an independent film. And that's all you got to tell me is I'm looking good. And I go the other way. <laughs> if you told me, you got to work your ass to get this because there's a lot of people that are up for this. Then I'm like, all right, I'm going to show this. You know? You're ready. You're ready. They put the pressure on you. They put the pressure on you by giving you too much information. Yeah. So did you stop yourself in the middle of this? Did you stop, restart? What did you do? How did you, how did you fucking fix that? They, they were like, can we do that? Can we do that again? That part? And I'm like, oh God, they don't like it. So I leave. I get the call the next day from the agent. Um, you weren't consistent enough. They don't feel like uh, you had the consistency to do a scene with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And oh. I want to take some of the notes that the casting director has given and put it on tape and then send it. Uh, if they look at that and they feel like that's good enough to send to the Scorsese, they'll, they'll do it. So I was like, all right, fuck, I'm going to do this. I do it on tape here. I send it. Scorsese sees it and ends up giving me a different part, the Joe Gallo part that I didn't even read for. I read for another part. So, yeah, it was like... Holy shit. So you ended up getting a... So what was the part? Who who in the movie did you go out for? 
Who are you supposed to be? I was supposed to be, I forget the name of the character, but it was the guy that was eating watermelon that was drenched in alcohol. Um, it both oh, shit. Yeah. Beetle got the yeah. It was a Chicago and that was a scene. guy. It's a Chicago yeah, guy. he was with, uh, he was in the scene with Robert and Al. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely know what you're talking about. But the part that you ended up getting was still a great part. It was still a memorable part. The better part for me. Uh, yeah. It murdered. It was more of a slick kind of gangster. And the, I had to wear sunglasses. I don't know how you feel about this, but <sighs> in my dream to wear sunglasses in a movie. <laughs> and it came true with the Irishman. I, I just think it's a cool look. A little sunglass on in a movie is uh, is just, a, I don't know. I feel like that's like movie starish. So uh, what was the wife's reaction? What was the wife's reaction to this, to this movie, to you getting this role? Is this massive for the family, for the household? I mean, oh well, yeah, my wife is always, you know, everything I do is like exciting for her, you know, like even, you know, it could be something small, it could be something really big, and she's like, like such a cheerleader and a champion. Dope. So great, this is unbelievable. Can you believe? I'm not that way. I don't react in a way where, you know, like, I'm like, you know, like, I don't know how, like, what do you do? I mean, you're at a point now, are you just numb to the success or are you? No, you get, absolutely not. You really share, like, like, if you get a movie, do you, after you put the phone down, you go, bang, get in here. This is not, this is not to sound like a dick, but it's different because I'm putting the movies together now. So the, the bang is, fuck, all right, dope, we're doing it. We're doing the movie. Like, we're here. All right, guys, all the hard work is done. Production date set. It's still it's still excitement even when the movie's over. Shit, in the can. Now we're at the next date. Like, I still, I still get excited. No matter what, I don't ever, I'm not numb. I'm not numb to what, to what it is that we do and the things that we're able to do because to me, that's still, that's forever mind-blowing. I don't care how much of it I do. It's still mind-blowing that fucking you know this is my job mm. my job my job has this many layers and levels to it and it all started with a fucking comedy club that's still mind-blowing to me yeah so i'm never i'm never not going to lose the side of fun in that i'm talking to you about the movies because once again i said this world of you and films now it's it's becoming more like you're doing more so uh robert de niro What's going on with, with this one? You got something you're doing with Robert De Niro? A movie you're doing with him? Yeah, yeah. I um, co-wrote a movie, kind of loosely based on my life. Um, basically, a romantic comedy about uh, father and son's relationship. It's my father and myself. And, uh, you know, we wrote it, and uh, we're looking for someone to play my dad. And, um, you know, the studio was like, you know, we liked Robert De Niro. And I said, yeah, no, I love Robert De Niro. And, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if that's what you like, I guess. Um, yeah, if that's, if that's what you guys think. <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, what, what what are the other options? Is there, did you guys, can you, is it a list or is that the only name? Uh, fuck yeah, you like Robert De Niro? What do you mean? <laughs> sometimes you don't even know what's possible. You know, like sometimes mm. it's like, I don't know, like is, would he do that? You know, like, would he do something? Yeah, it's you, it's you being in your head again. Yeah. Not understanding like that. Oh wow, I've I've gotten to a point where this is a great opportunity for me, but it's also a dope project that somebody would want to do. And wow, me doing the Irishman, all these things can line up. This can make sense. Wow, mm -hmm. this this is happening because you're not seeing it that way. You only you only look the other way. Yeah, I can see how it lined up. I can see how the story of your father and now you do writing a script that's loosely based off of that relationship a romantic comedy based off of all your stand-up i can see how it lines up i see it yeah yeah I, sometimes I, I it's unclear for me but yeah this was an opportunity that like yeah he gave the script he liked the script but he wanted to hear it out loud so we did a table read uh, mm. in the middle of the pandemic and he came in and uh you know I, have you, have you you worked with him before, right? Yeah, I worked with Robert, uh, Bobby, and we did Grudge Match together. Grudge Match. Did a movie called Grudge Match with him and Sylvester Stallone. I met him there. Uh, I also met him on um, Fockers, Meet the Fockers, mm -hmm. uh, with Ben. When I did that movie, I met him there. Those are the two times that I worked with him, and I met him a couple times outside of that. But, you know, he's a he's a good dude, down-to-earth guy. 
humble, humble, chill guy. Um, not a lot, like not a lot to him. Not like a guy that's that's difficult or you know that you're that you're walking on eggshells around. You know, he's a he's a real guy and he's good at his craft. Yeah, great at his fucking craft, and he knows that. So you know, working with him on set is just him coming to do the job that he's got to do and then getting out of there. That's what it's about for him. Yeah, that's big though, man. Yeah, it's, that's fucking big. It's it's great. I'm very fortunate to have him on uh, on board and. Uh, he came in at the table read. He had the the, the, the comedy. He had it all down, and I was like, "Wow, this is just like watching a like a master work." So, yeah, we're shooting this in uh, what September, middle of September. We start. And, Holy shit! Yeah, this is our first big like movie that I am going to partake in, where I'm kind of the star of the movie. This is huge. Yeah, it's uh, this is huge. And uh, nerve wracking, you know. I mean, there's. Uh, what do you mean nerve wracking? This is huge. But, but listen, if I ain't worried about it, then something. <laughs> okay, that's just the way it is over. This, okay, this is fucking huge, man. Huge, like I'm serious. You wrote a script, developed a script. Script is getting made, and it's getting made with. You and one of the biggest movie stars of all time. This is fucking huge. I need not listen. Can you call me every morning and just tell me that? <laughs> I love it. Uh, another thing, man, you got a, a, a fucking you was talking about cooking for your damn kids and this amazing meal that you prepared. By the way, you don't have that many kids to cook that much food. So I, I wanted to ask you that. You're, you're definitely wasting a lot of food in your household, and I can already tell that. Uh, you're wasting a lot. Listen. You're wasting. You told me you cooked French toast pancakes. You said there was an egg that you did. There's fruit. There's this whole thing. Nobody's eating all that fucking food. Listen. As an Italian, you have to give options when you cook. Um, you don't just put out, I don't like going over to these people's houses where they just give you one like option. Do you want chicken? Why? What else uh, do you have? You know, like, I'm looking for a little variety. And when Italians cook, they make variety. So- you make variety, I get it. If it goes to waste, it's okay. Uh, you know, Someone's gonna eat it. Um, yeah, and then we, we made a cooking show on Discovery Plus, um, basically marrying my two passions, comedy and cooking. Uh, and uh, we shot 13 episodes, going to air in August. Working. And, uh, yeah, things are good, man. I mean, uh, in, during the pandemic, you know, since comedy wasn't available, uh, I'm like, okay. You create it. Got to create some stuff uh, that typically we don't normally do. But uh, I didn't want to just do anything. I, 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 anything I ever do in my career is out of like, I like this. This is, this is something I really like. I don't want to just do things to do it. And uh, this opportunity kind of presented itself through doing Sunday suppers. We were doing virtual Sunday suppers for charity during um, my buddy Dom, who, uh, who's a chef. And I know Dom. Yeah. Oh, no, you said chef. I thought you were talking about Dom. I thought you were talking about the comic. Go. No, 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 no. This is a chef uh, out here in Los Angeles who was decimated when uh, the, the pandemic hit. He um, supplies meats and cheeses and pastas to restaurants. His business basically was crippled. And I'm like, oh, let's see if there's a way we could kind of like, you know, give you some uh, business. And we did a mm -hmm. Sunday supper featuring his food where people could order it online and it was great. We had a great time doing it. And I'm like, man, I really like the food, the culinary arts here. I wonder if we could, you know, do something on a TV show. And we found a really nice vehicle to do that, which showcases uh, my brand of humor and marries it with uh, with food. So um, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I can I can see I can see you thriving and being funny in the kitchen. I can see a good time, full of laughter, as a meal is getting prepared. By the way, never been invited over for dinner. You've been in LA for a while now, and after knowing me, several conversations, you know, Kel, Kev, we gotta talk, we gotta do whatever. Hearing that you cook is shocking. Now once has there been like, yo, you should come over, maybe do dinner at the house, Kev. I cook is what you could have said, and I think that could have uh, set the table for something nice, but it's never, never been, not once. Let me um, cue your listeners into our relationship you act yeah like, you act like we've known each other since 2005 it's not been the case very true okay very true first time yeah. i met you 
was January of last year. Okay. <laughs> year before. Year before. Was it last year? No, year before last. No, no. It was last year? January. Yeah. No, January last year, 2020, January. That's when I met you. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And yeah. And, oh, then I was supposed to come over to your uh, house. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? See? See what I'm saying? See? What? You never came. See what I'm saying? Oh, no, they never came. I said, okay, I'm going to come by. And you're like, I'm, I'm out driving my car. You went for like a ride. I go, no, I was going to come over in the morning. And then you took a picture of you and your car. I'm like, bro, I'm, yeah. I'm on the PCH, man. Yeah, you said I'm here. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's you. All right, yeah, now that you said it, I remember. You, uh, yeah, you said, yo, Kev, I'm in your area. I'm going to come by. Yeah, I said, oh, well, that's dope. Hit me when you get up there, man. Come out of the house. And then you, you was there early. I was like, where you at? You said, I'm, I'm here. Well, I'm not there. I'm driving. Oh. This early, Kev? Yeah, I go driving every morning, man. I go for a little drive in my car. And I said, I sent you a picture because, you know, the last thing I didn't want you thinking that I was oh, I in the house with the avoiding. I said, let me send him a picture so he knows I'm really driving because I know this comes off weird. I just told him, come by. I said, this is cool. I like how this conversation started with, I've never been invited over for dinner. Yeah. And now it's yeah. flipped to, I'm sorry, man. I, you, you yeah, man. My bad. But I was doing shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing shit. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know you would be there that fucking fast. I'm sorry. Did you ever decide? Are you moving up to that area or no? No. I know you were looking. We're happy here. You know. I think everybody went through this whole. Should I move during the pandemic? I think a lot of comedians kind of skipped over to Texas or they moved to Florida or what have you. And we had a, a little beat on that just because we were like, eh, you know, is, is this the right place to raise kids? And da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Especially mm -hmm. with, with the way LA kind of even has changed over the last five to seven years. It's it's just a, yeah. it's a different city. And where you're at is, you know, you're kind of removed from that. And I could see the the appeal out there. But, uh, you know, we like it here and and, and we're going to stay in uh you know, like I got my mother here. I got my sister here. I got my whole family here. What am I? No, you're big. You're 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 very big with the family. That's your thing. Are you weekend meals with the whole family every weekend, or is it what? Like, what's the consistency and the family getting together? Well, they live um, kind of like out by you. It's it's a ride. Uh, so okay. No, to your question, we don't get together every Sunday, but. Love to have them over here at least, you know, you know, once every four to six weeks. My mother will spend, you know, she'll spend three or four nights here. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Jesus. Three or four nights. So it's not like they don't come and they'll go. They they make but they live they live 25, 30 minutes away. Why are they right in, man? It's like they slide right in here. It's uh Jesus. My dad's coming for 10 days from Chicago. Your dad is coming for 10 days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a whole thing, man. He comes and he feels like he's on vacation, you know? <laughs> Are you ever going to show the world your dad in his entirety? I mean, you've done such a great job of, of breaking down who this individual is. I showed the world my dad. You know, because I know, I know it got to a point where people probably felt this person wasn't real. The long dick today, that you gonna learn today, the the drugs, the fucking the the, the crass behavior. Just he's just not aware of his surroundings. And I said, people think that this isn't real. And rest in peace, Larry King. Uh, I had Larry King interview my dad for real on a special, like in front of one of my specials. And it's one of the funniest things that you will ever see because Larry King is asking real questions. And my dad, my dad is giving answers. Larry King says, is it true that you got high when you were watching your son and took him to, it was like a pool hall or something like that. My dad took me to, he was high as a kite. My dad said, yeah, that's true. I was high as a Georgia pine. <laughs> he says this to Larry King. Like, it's not, it's not a bit. It's not jokes. This is who he is. Are you ever going to put your father in a position for the world to see that this man is exactly who you say he is? See, with my dad, if you start like documenting his whatever, he he he's not 
very comfortable in front of, even when I put on a phone or whatever, he almost becomes a different man. Yeah. Not the guy I'm talking about on stage. He's yeah. kind of a little reserved when you, you know, even when they interview him like backstage for whatever we're doing, like behind the scenes and when the camera comes to him, he, 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 he gets, <laughs> I go, who are you? It's not even you, you know? So he, he, he's not the guy that I depict on stage in front of a camera, but yeah, there's little glimpses where I, I get him to talk a little bit and, uh, and yeah, I, I think it's nice for the for the people to see who you're actually speaking about. To it's just a good it's a good bonus at some point. A question that I love to ask the comedians that come on, man, is you know who inspires you as a comic? You know, we all we all have the the comics that we feel have done things or have achieved whatever that have added to our will and want for success who who is your top three who who do you say man you know fucking these are the guys that do it and that do it at a level that just makes me want to do it more and achieve more because of the stages that they set give me your three your top three uh, three um jerry seinfeld comes to mind Gotta be. uh i i like what he has done um i like the way he works uh constantly writing and 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 really manipulating his material and shaving words and you know and and just the dedication to the craft mm -hmm. i think he's very you know inspiring in that way you should listen to jerry's uh gold mines me and jerry's talk shit was insane the, it, it hearing how he still approaches comedy how he breaks down a joke how much he loves to write a joke exactly what you just said he just discussed his love for writing a joke, for finding the bit, executing the bit. It was it was really amazing to listen to, and and to hear his passion about it. All right, give me Jerry. Who else? Jerry, um, I for showmanship and making a spectacle uh, of comedy. Um, Eddie Murphy, growing up. Uh, and I think I, you know, you had to be influenced by that because talk about making a spectacle and I'm getting it to my third real, real quick here, but Eddie Murphy, no rush. Eddie Murphy is to me, I mean, just, he made comedy like, I guess, cool, cool. cool. Uh, let's say it. Let's, let's both say it at the same time. Cool. It was a, it yes. Was a cool just the, the the outfits and even that like little montage prior to him going into the venue in long beach getting out of the limo and people and this and fixing his gloves or whatever it just looked like it was you were ready to see something that you typically do not see a lot and i get inspired by seeing that and 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 i'm not saying this because we're doing the podcast but you have this is this is exactly what we say a lot of the times because we look at what you're doing when I say we it's my wife and I because we like like graphics and we like show and lights and this and that and the other thing um, just to kind of see what you do in a in a show I go, what is, what is this guy doing like you know, I... <laughs> look. It, it, even to go far as like who you use for like set design and inspiration and color mm -hmm. and uh, posters. Like anytime, sometimes we're trying to figure out what the concept of the tour poster is. You know, we for inspiration, we go, let's see what Kevin did here on, on this special or that special or, or whatever. Photography, whatever it might mm -hmm. be. And you do a lot, and I, I'm just a different guy. I, I I couldn't do what you do, but you have made it a. Um, there's the possibility of getting a Nike deal, like not that I would mm -hmm. get that, mm -hmm. but like you start thinking mm -hmm. in a different mindset. Like you don't just think about stand up; you think about other avenues that you could possibly get into and and make work so i think that's what you've kind of done for a lot of comedians in the sense that you've kind of opened people's eyes and it's not about just about stand-up it's about a lot of different businesses and again i don't have that's not my goal here is is to doing what you're doing but what i'm saying is you're making it a little bit more digestible for people to go 
Oh yeah, that's that's interesting. He's got like he went from Nike to Fabletics. I bought yeah. Tommy John underwear because you wear it. You know, like mm-hmm. just because you promote. I never even heard of it. I go, let me fucking try this thing. I was wearing CK. I go, let me try these Tommy Johns. So you know, like they're fucking so, great. Yeah, they're great. I, I think the the Seinfelds and the Eddie Murphys, but now in the modern era, there's a lot to learn from what you're doing. I think that what we overlook, and I love to say we, because we're part of a fraternity. I've said this on so many episodes. I truly do look at comedians, comics, all of us, all of us, male, female, doesn't matter. If you embrace the craft, we're part of a fraternity, right? And it's our job in a fraternity to really uplift and show the people that are coming behind us how to do what it is that we've done, but also how to go further and surpass so that this fraternity lives on forever. You know, when you look at Rodney Dangerfield, when you look at Red Fox, when you look at Robin Harris, when you look at, you know, Sam Kennison, you go down these names, there's so many, George Carlin, you know, these, these comedians that were part of older generations, for them to now see how comedy has grown and where it is, it's kudos and fucking head nods and hat lips and tips to them. Here's a hat tip to you guys because we're carrying the torch from what you guys made great. Like you're talking about the Murphy, you're talking about the prior. Well, that torch was passed to them and so on and so on. When you talk about Carson, you talk about like it's a crazy baton that's been passed around that we've, I think sometimes we take for granted as to how it's been used. And it's not about being the funniest. It's not about being the best. It's not about sitting at the top. Those people that are fortunate enough to be a part of that conversation, well, man, those are fucking anomalies. Like that's, those are shooting stars. There's never gonna be another Pryor, another Murphy, another fucking Seinfeld. It's not gonna happen. Those people are cemented in history. Like what Dave Chappelle is doing now, cemented in fucking history. You can't duplicate it, but what they've done is create opportunities for you, myself, other comics to now have and do. You're talking about writing a show. You're talking about a cooking show. You're talking about, you know, now another tour. We're multitasking. I don't think there's a better job that has access to so many different doors on the planet. You know, the, the, the work that we got to put into our craft, the benefit of it takes us to 30 to 40 different doors if we choose. If we choose to, not say we have to, if you choose. Writing, directing, producing, personality, business, business venture, VC, ownership. I can go down a fucking list, but it starts with personality and that's what comedians display. We display personality. Yeah, it's it's very uh, you know it's 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 a it's a great thing to have that ability to do all those different things. It's just um, yeah, I, I for for me it's it's hey, if I'm in a few movies, if I'm in a couple of TV shows, that in and I do stand up comedy, that's great. Although I also want to keep again the the family comes into this a lot because I want to be here for my daughter, my son, mm-hmm. watching them mm-hmm. grow up. And I don't want to overextend myself where I look back and I go, my God, they're 18, you know? Yeah, where was I at? What did I do? Yeah. I, man, I would say, and this is, I no longer give advice. I give information. And I say that because, you know, a valuable lesson was taught to me about giving advice. Sometimes you give advice with a selfish reason of wanting people to do what you did. You know, and that, that's a weird thing. I had a talk with Will Smith one time and we had a real deep discussion and he said some shit like that and just stuck with me. You know, when you give advice, are you telling people to do what you did to become you? Or are you giving them information? Because information is different. You're just giving people something so that they can have it and be aware. My information that I'm giving you, because of the access uh, to financial success that we now have, well, you do have an opportunity for different pieces of wealth. So when it comes to fucking real estate, when it comes to 
investments when you're talking about sitting down being around with your family i would just i would say go grab some information in those worlds and put yourself you know in a position where passive income is something that becomes of the norm so that mm-hmm. the touring and the other stuff isn't a because you have to it's because you want to and we still love what we do i know i love it and if there ever is a space where we didn't or we were getting close to where we didn't we would choose not to if we weren't having fun so make sure that you Mm -hmm. just uh take advantage of the opportunities to grab that information while you can dude you're you're a personable cat you're a great cat i gravitate towards you not only because you're funny but because there's only good conversations that surround you that's a good thing so use that to your advantage i know you hate the network but use that to your fucking advantage from time to time all right that's just information that's it love receiving information i appreciate you uh spreading some of that to me um but yeah well all said. right man and like fucking dude let's do dinner i mean you cook like invite me to fucking dinner it's like dude i invited you to the house yeah grant you know shit didn't work out but i'm just saying you know i extended the invitation that's what it's about man it's la it's all about the invite <laughs> get the invite all right, just just come. Yeah, that's it. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We get into minds here on Comedy Gold Minds today. Holy shit, what an amazing mind this was, Sebastian. I want to thank you, man, for coming on. I want to congratulate you on what you've done and all that you're doing, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here. He's got a tour. Uh, it's nobody does this. Okay, tickets are on sale now. He kicks it off in Nashville. Uh, more things to come: movies, TV, from cooking shows to movies with Robert De Niro you got a man on a mission yeah he's a he's a little doubtful about it sometimes but he's still on a mission god damn it Sebastian thank you for coming on I love you I appreciate you man thanks my man I'll, I'll see you soon comedy gold mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production executive produced by Kevin Hart Ty Randolph and Eric Weil with tastemakers media Emil Garner and Ian McDonald. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 